Welcome back to The Brandon White Show, where we have conversations worth listening to give you an edge to win in your business and your life. I'm your host, Brandon White. Here we go. Welcome to The Edge Podcast, your weekly playbook about the inner game of building a successful business, making you a happier, healthier, and richer business owner. And here's your host, Brandon White. Hey, Selena. Hello there. We got there eventually. We did. From across the world. <laughs> On a completely different uh, Zoom link that we neither of us had. That's okay. I just decided to start a new one because I couldn't figure out all these Zoom links. <laughs> no problems. How's your day going? Like a shoeless summer. How about you? Uh, yeah, don't wear shoes in summer. So <laughs> Exactly. Here in the United States. After you're a kid, you usually wind up wearing shoes all summer. And I remember back when I was a kid and what a great time that was. I don't know about that. Whereabouts in America are you? Because I'm in Sydney uh-huh. and I am not too far from the beach, probably a 10-minute drive. And I can tell you that we have our fancy flip-flops and then we just have like regular old flip-flops. Like flip-flops are a general part of your daily wear. And I know that in San Diego, that is not dissimilar. Well, just so happens that our studio is at the beach here in Half Moon Bay, California. And it is true that most people wear flip-flops or no shoes most of the time. However, I grew up on the East Coast of the United States on a farm where in the winter you had to wear boots. So I remember back to those times when I used to run around without shoes. Okay. Well, maybe the goal is you just always live near the beach and then you don't have to wear shoes most of the time. I have never, Selena, had someone analyze that so deeply, which is probably a compliment to you and how you think about retail and businesses. Maybe, or maybe it's just the line of flip-flops at the front door. Like you've got the good ones, the going out to the garden ones, the ones you can wear to the shops. And I literally went to a job interview. I was I was interviewing a new team member and I walked out with my fancy flip-flops and my cleaner pulled me up and went, you cannot wear those if you're going to interview someone at a cafe. I'm like, it's my business. I can wear whatever I want. That is true. I think my intent is to make people go back to when they were a kid and remember how fun it was and not to be so serious in a serious world that we live in. Okay, I like it. I mean, you know, never, I guess really the truth is we shouldn't joke around, never been a more serious time. Probably, well, I don't know, maybe that's dramatic, but world history definitely seems to be happening every day here. But we get a chance to change it, right? Like we get a chance to react to what's happening and then make choices about how we take our next steps. That is absolutely true. We control how we react and how we feel. And that can change the course of our day. That's why I wake up every morning, smell the fresh air, smile, and remember to control what I can and what I can't control. Try like go. Okay. All right. How about so, you? I'm good. I'm good. I will say I've got a hard stop in one hour because I've got another call straight after. So oh my God. Well, let's um, let's get right into let's it. Jump let's jump into it. 
Well, you have an interesting story, but which I'd like you to talk a little bit about how you built your chain of stores and then sold them and then got into helping people. And then I'd like to, Selena, just jump right in to help listeners out with lessons learned along the way that you have learned that they could implement into their retail and e-commerce businesses to ultimately help them sell more and make more money. I went to a, I call it CEO club. I just joined this business. I'm not going to say networking group, but it's a business community because it's not, there's no sales involved. It's not like BNI, but I joined it because I wanted to have some conversation with people who were at a higher level than I was and who would push me out of my comfort zone. And yesterday was the first session that I've been to. And it's, it's like a round table where everybody sits around and you have to come prepared with what your biggest obstacle or the biggest challenge you're facing right now. So the group can help you out. And there's every, like there's, there's digital marketing agencies. There was a guy who has a waterproofing company. There was an occupational therapy, like real estate agents, everybody from every walk of life. And just in the pre drinks session, I sat next to this really lovely guy. And look, it's pretty obvious I will talk to anyone about anything, right? I'm the person, you don't sit next to me on the bus if you don't want to have a conversation because I will, on a plane, God forbid, if you don't want to talk, you better get those headphones in really quickly. And so this gentleman was saying to me, he's a strategic organizational coach. I was like, oh, that sounds very interesting. What do you do? Long story short, he said to me, what is your number for selling your business? And I said, oh, I heard this on a podcast the other day and I've been thinking about it and, and it would have to be nine figures. He's like, that's like a hundred million dollars. And I said, yeah, yeah. And he said, but is that an emotional valuation or is that an actual business valuation? And I said to him, I believe that my company can hit that number. I just need help to get there. And that's what I'm here for. I need the help. And so he said, all right, so what would a $10 million day look like for you? And I, I sat there and I thought about it and I said, we could not do that with our current product suite. Like I know that the, the program that we have, and I got out my calculator and said, all right, if we, even if we doubled the price, blah, 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 if we added coaching into, so scale your store program. And then if you added in 12 months coaching, let's say we, let's say we sold it for $10,000. That would mean we need a hundred sales a day. So I don't know if the market is big enough for that because it wouldn't be cheap. There's a $10,000 investment, right? There's not a lot of people out there who just have that kind of money ready to go. And he said, well, so what's the answer? And I said, I already know the answer to this because when I first started the Scale Your Store program, it wasn't even called that back then. I was, a, I've sat next to somebody at a conference and she said she was a operations manager for a veterinarian. And she said to me, Oh my God, your program sounds exactly what our vets need. Because they have no idea about selling. Like they're just there for the dogs. They have no concept. And often customers will have to ask them to buy stuff when it shouldn't be like that. And, you know, quite often they're cash flow poor because they're paying out for all this stuff and they just have no concept about selling in the best interest for the customer. And she goes, we would like, I would be totally on board if you wanted to come in and do something like that. And so when this gentleman was asking me, I said, I know how we can change out our program so it fits different verticals. So we could do, we could partner with someone and do a veterinarian one. We could do one for optometrists. So there are all these people who are in what 
maybe would be more like a service-based business, but really they're in retail. And so that concept of thinking bigger was the whole point of me going to that session. And I completely forgot what your question was, but that that answer was relevant. (laughs) This episode is sponsored by the Halle Financial Team at Expert Lending. Buying a house in today's market is competitive, and you need a lender that can close fast and get you the very best rate. The team is licensed in 48 states and has over 20 years experience in the real estate and lending space and access to lending rates that most mortgage brokers can't get. I know because I'm an investor in the team. If you need a mortgage or know someone that does, call or text Kara at 571-271-9086 and talk to a real human who will give you the customer service you deserve. Again, call or text Kara at 571 271 9086. Now back to the show. Well, I asked how you got into building your business originally, and then you sold it, and then you got into helping other people scale and grow their retail and e-commerce businesses. Businesses. Yes. Okay. So how did I get into it? Well, the funny thing is, I had a retail chain of stores that sold baby products and I don't really like kids. Like, I mean, I like my kid, but I was not the babysitter, right? I, I, I'm not a kid person. So totally hilarious that I ended up in the, in the niche that I was in. But I went to a financial advisor when I first met my husband. So in my late twenties. And at the time I was working for the government and I was on fixed wage, no growth, like there was no scaling up. It was like, this is what you get paid. These are the hours that you work. You work a nine-day fortnight, you get your four weeks pay, holiday pay, that's it. And the financial advisor, he got his big whiteboard out. We were there for quite a few hours. And he was like, all right, let's put down everything that you ever wanted in the world. And we were like, a boat and go on holidays three times a year. and have multiple properties and just he just was like, just keep going, like all the things that you want. And that is a really hard thing to do because you start to feel very materialistic. You know, he said like, when you have kids, do you want to send them to private school? What? And I was like, no, I got better. I'd rather have the boat. And anyway, so he wrote them all down and he, he totted up the numbers and he was like, right, so you need to earn $250,000 a year. And I remember thinking, is that all? Like, is that all I have to earn? to have everything that I've ever wanted. The funny thing was I was at the time on $60,000 and it wasn't going anywhere. There was no, you know, so it's 4X what I was going to be earning. And I remember turning to my husband and saying, by the time I'm 40, I want to be able to work when I want, with who I want, and make as much money as I want. And he looked at me and he said, you got no hope. You work for the government. (laughs) Like, Even if you became the manager, of the section you were in, that's like a $120,000 a year job. like, And it's full-time job. So I don't know how, but that's what I want. And so fast forward a few years later, um, probably about five or six years later, it was 2007. And I became pregnant with my daughter. And at the time, it's, it's all very different now. Like the world has changed so much in the last you know decade. But I wanted... Eco. I was in the sustainability arena anyway, but I wanted eco products. And back then, 
we didn't have them. Like e-commerce was still very, very brand new. And so I started importing them and like we were one of the first businesses on Facebook, but most of my sales came from parenting forums because that's where everybody hung out. And so I would just say, oh, yes, I've just imported these. You can buy them from me. I got to the point where I was making as much money in my little side business as I was making for the government. And I had my daughter, took my maternity leave, went back and just hated every single minute of it. I remember having the conversation with my boss where I'd, I'd done this massive deal, massive stakeholder deal to keep this Indigenous piece of land safe. So we, I worked for the power company at the time and they wanted to put power lines through this piece of somewhat protected space, but not not that you couldn't use it. And I'd done this. It'd taken months to get the local council on board and the state government on board and the power company and all these different people to get, get on board. And I worked out that it was only going to cost the company $1,000 more to do my plan than it would be to just bulldoze everything and go straight through the land. And I put these proposals together and I sat down with my boss and I was like, it's only going to cost $1,000. This is the power company. The power company has $1,000, right? That's how much they spend on tea and coffee in a month. And he just said, no, we're not doing it. Like the plan is the plan. The engineers have already built it out. It's not changing. And at that point, I said to him, so what am I here for? Like, if this is not what I'm here for, what am I here for? I was, I didn't tell you, I was an arborist at the time. And he said to me, you are here because the government legislation says we have to have you here. Like, you know, empowering speech for someone who, you know, is doing a really good job, right? You're here because the government, the legislation says we have to have you here. And that was the point where I kind of thought, you know what? I can come to work every day and work with a bunch of men who behave like two-year-olds, or I could just be around two-year-olds. <laughs> and so I ended up leaving the government job and opening up my first bricks and mortar store. I had the e-commerce store already going by then. I opened up my first bricks and mortar store. Uh, my on my daughter's, it was like four, three weeks before my daughter's first birthday. So 2008. And we all know where the world was in 2008, just on the beginnings of the global financial crisis. Perfect time to open a business when you have no idea what you're doing. And ended up moving through the financial crisis and it wasn't easy. Like I'm not going to say it was easy at all, but ended up growing that store into a chain of stores, which I sold in 2015. And when I sold the business, one of my suppliers actually said to me, like, you are the best retail store owner I've ever worked with. You should build a course on how to open like a really good business. And she said, you should write a book. And so I started writing a book and then realized that I am a very how-to kind of person. Like I want to teach you the strategies, not just tell you like this is what you should do. It's like, you know, here's how you do it. And so the book ended up turning into a course, which has morphed over time based on feedback. And it's now a program called Scale Your Store which business retail and e-commerce store owners use as a toolbox. And so every 90 days, they audit their business and then they work out which of the five pillars of retail success is their weakest, like which one is holding them back. And then they build out a 90-day plan to address that pillar. And the thing is, when you do it this way, and like I said, I didn't know what I was doing back in the day. I know I'm a, a bit smarter now. But when you do this, you see what I call what I call exponential growth, and that's not the linear. Oh, you know, we made twenty percent more. 
I've seen a business go from $120,000 a year to a million dollars a year in five months. So what's that? Six X numbers off the top of my head. Not a great number. I'm not great at math off the top of my head, but that's a lot of money. That's a big difference, right? And it's all because when you sit down to address the thing that you're crap at, now whether it's you putting in the time and the money and the effort or you outsourcing doesn't like we're open to whatever that looks like for you. But when you actually address the thing that's we'll call it broken, the results become compounded. So the positive results become compounded. So the thing that you think is a problem right now could just disappear because it's only a problem right now because it keeps getting pushed to the back of the line. Or you know, people think posting on social media is going to make them more money. But I can guarantee you, one, they're probably not tracking the metrics. And two, if they are, they'll work out the vast majority of their sales are not coming from posting on social media. But instead of actually addressing the problem, which is why am I not getting traffic to my store or what is my cost of goods or how many people do I even need coming to my website anyway, they just post more on social media because they've bought into this idea, two ideas. One is that the more you work, the more you'll get paid because that's what we grow up believing, right? You you get a paycheck, you work more hours, you make more money, you get some overtime. It doesn't work like that in business, right? Working more hours does not make you more money. So that's the first one. And the other thing they've, they've bought into is social media is the be all and end all. Now I can tell you, I've got a really successful business and I am crap at social media. I'm trying to, I'm trying, you know, I do my best. I get no business from social media. Where do you get your business? Mostly word of mouth or my podcast. So we put a lot more effort into our podcast than we do social media because there's a connection there. But I don't remember to film myself eating breakfast every day or to film myself drinking my cup of tea. But I do remember to get on and have an actual conversation with people because that's what I'm good at. I'm good at having a conversation. But I'm not great at filming myself hopping into my car to go and pick my kid up from school. I don't even know why that's interesting. But other people seem to find it that. Well, the statistics show I built a social network and sold it. So I sort of know how it works. Most of the time, people are looking at their own pictures, reading their own posts. The number one looked at page on LinkedIn is the person's own profile page. That's the statistic. The, I had to get to my own profile page on LinkedIn. The But I have a question for you. Well, I have a few. So you built a successful business. You made some money. Why did you choose to teach versus to not just use all these principles and put them into action and go build another retail chain? Good question. So first off, I had some money, not a lot of money, because one of the deals that I did with the person who bought the business was a lump sum up front and then monthly payments over 12 months for the remainder. Worked for me. However, they weren't always that great at paying on time. And so there was a lot of effort trying to catch up on the money that was owed. But why did I not open another business? Do you know what? I I think I say this in my bio now. I have always been better at building other people's businesses. So even when I worked for the government, I built, and I'm not saying I'm in any way tech, you know, like I can't code, I can't do anything like that. 
But I built a system, a digital system that streamlined application approvals from like two weeks down to a day. Like I don't like wasting time and I don't like wasting money, even if it's somebody else's money. And I cannot say, and I love automation and I can't see the point. And this was one of the big issues I had working for the government is at one point, my boss actually told me I was showing other people up because I was working too hard. Now, I don't think I ever worked hard for the government, (laughs) but I was probably working a lot smarter than what he was. And I was doing these things that really energized me, like meeting with people, connecting with people, solving people's problems. And even when I look back, I did the exact same thing for another government agency that I worked with before then. It was a similar sort of situation where people would put applications in and we just streamlined this process. And even now, I get the excitement out of like the, the joy and the excitement and the thing that fills me up is showing people how to do that for themselves. Like I can go and do it, but how much more exciting is it and how much more confidence do people feel when they get to see their own success? So one of the things I was really good at, and I didn't know it at the time, but when I had my physical stores, pretty much the people who came to work with, with us were mums because they we sold baby products. They had an understanding of what was happening. We had flexible hours so they could do it around childcare. They were the perfect people. But quite often, they had lost their confidence because they'd been out of the workforce for anything up to five years having their kids. And some of these people were really smart, you know, HR, corporate lawyers, HR execs, and they were working in a retail store. And something that came up over and over and over again from the people who worked with me, and they stayed for usually for at least 12 to 18 months, was being in that environment gave them the confidence that they needed to go back and make big decisions in their life. So I had given them not small tasks, but I'd given them autonomy within the business to make decisions because they're smart people, right? They don't need me there all the time. But that, I guess that trust in them had been so leached out of their entire existence because people were just requiring them to do everything that when they actually had a chance to stand back and make decisions that were not family related, it gave them this ability to stand up and be really proud of what they'd achieved. And so one of the things I'm really good at is giving people that confidence back to be their best, to do their thing. And I am not a coach. I have never called myself a coach. I would be the worst coach in the world because I just tell people, (laughs) I tell people like it is, I'm pretty straight down the line and I don't accept excuses. So that's why people hire me, right? It's like you will kick my butt so that I can achieve the things that I can do. And so why did I not build another business? Well, I did build another business and I do put all those things into play, but now my business fulfills me in other ways where I totally, like last night, my perfect Tuesday night is sitting around with a bunch of business owners trying to solve their problems. Like that's how geeky I am. That's the thing that fills me up. I came home so energized. And so why not, you know, they say build a business doing the thing that you love. So I did. Do you actually believe that? That I, which part? That you should build a business that you love. No, no, I actually don't. That's just one of those things that we get sold into. I think you should build a business that achieves the results that you want. 
And and I think that is a big, you know, that's it's a, I think it's a myth, the build a business that you love because, and it's generally aimed at women, not men. Men tend to go into business with a, like a result in mind. I'm either going to, you know, I see an opportunity, I'm going to build this business up and I'm going to flip it. Or I see an opportunity, I see a niche where I can make money. I see how I can leverage X to get Y. If I buy this business, if I buy this business, it's going to make my other business better. Do you really think I, we, I, I'm interrupting you because I am a man? Yeah, so that's I get, fine. To, get to have a point of view here. I think 100% you get to have a view. So do you really think I, I, I don't think what you're saying is actually completely true. I think that the general consensus is, is that this narrative is do what you love, whether you're a man or woman. I actually never heard it broken down like that. Is that just because of generally you see that or because I never have seen it broken down, Selena, by gender? I think I've worked with a lot of men and a lot of women and we think very differently. So let me ask you this question, Brandon. When you started your business, did you have a key outcome that you wanted to achieve with it? That is a really good question. I don't know. I may be several standard deviations from the norm, and here's why. Because I was working on my first master's degree and decided that I wanted to publish a fishing magazine for no other reason that the magazine that I wanted didn't exist. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have enough money to print the magazine, it turns out, long story short. So there was this thing in the early 90s when I was in college called the internet. So in 1996, I said, why don't we put a magazine online? And I actually set out to catch more fish than I did make money when I thought I could make money at it because I discovered that in 1996, the internet was sort of a thing that was starting to happen in 97. It, if you were a nerd, you were in it. 99, you know, you started dot com craziness. And the outcome that I realized might happen is that I could sell the business and make some money. Worst case, make a living going fishing. As it turns out, and, and everyone along the way is saying, Rah, rah, you're doing what you love. You love the fish. You get the fish all the time. Well, turns out, Selena, the reason what happened to me, I'm not saying it can happen to everyone else, but the reason was I asked that question is because for me, I did get to do what I loved, but what I loved turned into a job that I had to do whether I wanted to do it or not. And you know, someone can say, cry me a river, Brandon, you fish 200 plus days a year. Like, oh, that's really sad. You traveled everywhere and you did all that. That's fine. But when you feel like you have to do it, it changes your hobby that you loved into a job. And I will tell you that we sold that company, I think nine years ago, Selena, to a big media company. And I have not once fished on my own, meaning I haven't grabbed my rod and gone out and fishing because I love it. I fish with my nephew, my brother, my best friend, mainly because that's joint time that we get to spend together. But I have not 
the fishing rods are sitting in the house in the garage because I got burned out. So that was really my, why I ask people when I get the opportunity and you, you threw me this like super slow pitch, which was, should you really do what you love? And I caution people on doing what you love and doing what you're good at that can facilitate you being able to do what you love. Okay. I'm going to cut in there and say, you said not far into that story that you had an outcome and you said, worst case scenario, I can sell this business off. So this is where I'm talking about, this is how we think differently. Most women don't have the exit plan in mind. It's a thing. I don't know why. Like the, you know, what's your number? That's a really great, I'm going to, I'm going to start incorporating that into my question is what is your number? Well, that's a, I think that's a, I don't really, to be honest with you, I don't think the person that asked you that question, that's actually really a good question. You think it's a good question? No, because the the number that you could get for your business is based on valuations and comparables. But that's not the question he was asking. The question was, what would be the number that would make you just walk away from all of this and go, you know what, that is more than enough money to compensate me for the change that I wanted to affect in the world. Well, that's fair then. I mean, I know what that number is minimum because you can only live off of 4% of what you make in theory. You can push it to five, but you might like on a year like this year, it's going to turn out to be in the market. It's going to go into your principal. So maybe, yeah, I mean, look, there's no mistaking the most impactful book for my wife and I who've been together, I think 26 or 27 years now. It was Men Are From Venus, Women Are From Mars or whatever that book is. Yeah, I haven't read that one. Oh, it is. It changed the world because especially 25 years ago, we were younger and you're not as cognizant to exactly what you're talking about, which is men and women actually think completely differently. We do. It's it's scientific fact. We think very, very differently. Not even, I mean, sometimes I think we need a translator. What I'm trying, I guess what I'm trying to get away, the try, and probably not saying it very, very well is If you don't know the result that you want, so if you have started your business because you like podcasting, you like helping, in my case, you wanted to help new families to live a more sustainable life. I never had a number until I decided that, you know what, my kid is seven now and I don't really, I don't like kids. Like I don't want to be in this business anymore. For me, it was a way to make money. It was a vehicle to make money. and. What people don't realize in retail and e-commerce is most people go into it for a couple of reasons. It's either I saw the magazine I wanted didn't exist, you know, the product that I want didn't exist, the kind of store I wanted didn't exist, so I decided to do it myself. I experienced X problem and I wish that I could help people avoid that problem. It is very rarely I saw this product that can make a lot of money. It's it, And this is where... I got to give credit to people like dropshippers. I mean, it's not my thing because I deal with people who have businesses with soul, but good luck to them. Like their thing is, how many units can I ship out to make the most amount of money? I don't care about customer experience. I don't care about reviews. I don't care about anything as long as it's making me money. Very different mindset, but good luck to them. They have embraced the fact that your business is a vehicle to make you money. And then if you want a lifestyle that goes with it, it's up to you to build that lifestyle around the money that comes in. You might need more money to have more people. 
You might need more money so you can give more to charity. But at the end of the day, if you don't make money, you won't be in business. You can't serve anybody. And one of the, I don't know if you mostly have male or female listeners and hopefully no one takes any offense to this, but having been in that baby space, we sold a lot of breast pads. So when women are breastfeeding, you know, you get leakage. And we sold so many breast pads. And so one of the analogies that I use is, and I use this with all of my clients, is this is the kind of store we had. People would come in, ladies would come in day in, day out, and sometimes men. And men would say, my wife is, you know, she needs some breast pads. Can you give me some help? Do you think those same people would feel comfortable going up to a 15-year-old boy in your local Target store saying, this is my wife's current situation. What can you recommend? No. no, you're not going to feel comfortable. You're not going to feel like they can give you the right advice. And so the people that I work with are there because they love their products. They love their customers. We just have to teach them to make that profitable, scalable asset that they can take to the bank and they can get a loan against and they can get an overdraft and they can use that to change the world. And if you make more money, you get to help more people. You can hire a cleaner. You can hire a gardener. You can give more to charity. You can go out and eat at fancy restaurants. Like that is not a materialistic thing. That is just the circular effect of money. Your money goes to the people who are working there. Your money goes to the producers of the fruit and vegetables and the meat. Like money is this thing that has such a big flow and getting people to understand that making money isn't a bad thing can be one of the biggest hurdles. Now, one of the things we didn't turn up, we didn't talk about was I grew up really poor. And that's probably why I have this huge drive to help people make money is because I don't want people to go through the same thing that I did. I don't want to have to, people to have to be homeless at 14 with nowhere to go, which is where I was. And so why did I not open another store? Because I do have this desire to help people. And if I can educate them so that they can have that same experience where they can build a profitable, scalable asset, then I feel like I've done my job. What do you think is the biggest mistake you've seen in your journey so far helping other business owners? Not thinking that they need to make money. Like money not being a thing. So many people that I come into contact with are not in it for the money, which is fine. You can be not in it for the money if you have income coming from somewhere else. Like that, I, think that that's called a, I think that's called a hobby, not a business. <laughs> Exactly. Or it's you know, a fun thing to do. So that would probably be the biggest one is just understanding that without money, you don't get to be in business and you don't get to serve the customers. So if that's the case, does it really break down to the fact that if they're not worried about the money, what I've witnessed a lot is they don't truly have product market fit. They aren't solving a problem necessarily product or service that's big enough or painful enough that someone will actually buy that from them? Or or is it that they do have that, but they don't charge for it? Both. So I think one of, one of the first things that we do inside of that money pillar is we have this little, it's like super easy, a little, like a little graph, X, Y type graph. And we call it the perfect product matrix where you map out every single product. And you can do this if you're in a service business as well. Every single offering you have, 
whether it's high volume, high margin, high volume, low margin, low volume, low margin, low volume, high margin. I think that's it. You get the point. And what we generally find is most of the product sits in one of those quadrants, generally one of the quadrants below the line. So either low volume, high margin or low volume, low margin. And so your high volume, high margin are those those bread and butter products, day in, day out, consumables that people come in and if you've got them out of stock, they walk away disappointed. But too many people don't have the cash flow to keep those things in stock because you're right, they don't have product mix. They don't have the right product mix. They don't have the product fit because they're buying all this other stuff because they like it or maybe they really like the supplier. Like the supplier is a really nice person. So I just thought I would get those in with my order as well. They're not thinking about the fiscal benefits versus the customer experience benefits. And they think that, you know, Mrs. Jones who comes in once a month for that tub of face moisturizer, well, I've got to have it in stock because otherwise Mrs. Jones would be really disappointed. But Mrs. Jones spends $30 once a month and your best-selling customers come in twice a week and spend $100 each time. That you are going to have to disappoint people in business, right? You are not a department store. And even if you go to a department store, you're quite often disappointed there anyway, usually by the level of service. But you can't be everything to everyone. And it's the same in life, right? You can't be everywhere at once. You're not friends with everybody. Not everybody likes you. But that's okay. Right? That's totally okay. I think that mostly what drives people is they want to be liked. And I say what you just described. And once I did that, it completely freed my entire life. And my philosophy is, Selena, that there's, I think there's 7.6 or 7.8 billion people on earth. They will all not like me and I will not like all of them. And that's fine. As long as you're not evil, you're not mean, you're not trying to do something like that. I mean, I'm just saying that to qualify that, right? Because it doesn't let those type of people off the hook. But the fact remains is even the people that you don't get along with, you could still do business with potentially. I'm leaving that door open. But most people in life, most people, if you peel back the onion, they're really seeking being liked. And what I've seen, I don't know about you, is that if that's what drives you, ultimately you're at a failing strategy. And as you get older, this is a, it's called the spiral effect in psychology where you sort of going down the drain because you can't get yourself back out of that because you're in this circular loop of, but they don't like me, but they don't like me, but they don't like me. And until you really break down and are able to say, that's okay, then it drives you into an irrational decision to get Mrs. Jones her face cream every month. Meanwhile, you've got $60,000 worth of inventory sitting in your in the back of your store that you can't move and you need the cash flow and you're not going to get the loan and you go out of business. Can you imagine how exhausting it would be if everybody liked you? Like everybody would want to hang around. Like I can't even contemplate, like I'm an extrovert and I can't even contemplate if everybody <laughs> liked me what my life would look like. I'm an Actually, introvert. I'd be worn out and need to just go away. 
I mean, I don't have a lot of friends. I just did a podcast on this about how being a business owner can be, and, and as an extrovert, being a business owner can be quite isolating because the things that excite us are very different to everybody else. Like I will sit down and quite happily talk about automation and funnels all day, every day and love it. I can't do that with my, you know, regular friends. They, one, they have no idea what I'm talking about. And two, it's, that's rude of me to have a conversation with them that is not anything to do with their interests. And so I heard on a podcast, and I don't know if this is true, but I heard on a podcast the other day that if you have more than 17 friends, then you have, do not have the ability to create deep personal connections. 17 sounds like an extraordinarily high number. I'm, I'm not it saying does, doesn't it? I thought the same thing. How can you even maintain that? I don't know. And I don't know if that is a scientific fact. Uh, I just sort of vaguely heard it when I was listening to a podcast as I was driving along. And I remember it, but it stuck in my head. And I was like, 17 close friends would be really like, I would feel like I was letting someone down all the time. And so that concept of, and, and I think you just need to relate it back to your own personal life is if every single customer really liked you, would you find that exhausting? Like, can you imagine if every single customer wanted to hang out with you? And what if you didn't like them? Like you're saying, not, you don't, you don't like everybody. And so the good thing about having your own business is you get to choose who you want to be friends with. You get to choose who your customers are. And if you don't want them to be your customer, you don't have to serve them. And the more that you can take, you were talking about sort of mess, you sort of touched on messaging earlier. The more that you can own what you care about in your business and what your business cares about, the more you're going to alienate the people who don't want to hang out with you. And that's a really, really good thing because the more people connect with you, it doesn't have to be on social media, but the more people connect with you and the message and what it is your business is trying to do. And that business might be a 7-Eleven. Your business might be based 100% on convenience and you charge a premium for that. But if your customers value that, I value being able to buy a bottle of Coke No Sugar at 11 o'clock at night if I want to, and I will pay for the privilege. But that's my choice, but someone else might not. They'll just always buy it at the grocery store because they can buy a bottle twice the size for half the price. You don't want everybody to like you. And you have to be okay with that, like you said, and you have to own it and you have to actually step into that. Well, I also think that people cannot like you and still buy from your brand. Yes, I was going to say that. You said that earlier on about you can still do business with people. I do business with people that I don't necessarily like on a personal level, but I have no problems with their company. And so why should I not... Why should I take money away from the rest of that business, from the people who work there, from the suppliers who supply that business, just because I think the guy who or the lady who runs it isn't a jackass? Like that's that's just silly. That's not good business. It's not, but people get tied up on that sort of stuff. And yeah, I don't know what to say. I think you just have to do your best. I remember what we were talking, you were talking there. I was thinking of Michael Jordan and Michael Jordan on the documentary that they did on him, he really opened up and he said, I never understood why other athletes and celebrities would come out and 
take a position politically one way or the other. He said, because Republicans and Democrats all buy Jordan, Jordan Ayers. And, you know, you, you, at first I was like, well, you know, maybe these people want their voices heard and want to use their, I'm not saying it's right because I think some, some of these, some people aren't qualified. They're qualified to have their opinion. I'm not sure that their experience that they have is deep enough to come to the conclusion that they did, but they're entitled to their opinion and I respect they're that. Not, I think what you're saying is they're not qualified to influence other people's decisions. On a certain topic that they may not know enough yes. of, but they are entitled to the opinion, their opinion. And if they, if they have the influence, then whatever. But it struck me from Michael Jordan that uh, he's a businessman and it wasn't whether he liked, I don't even know what political party he is because he just doesn't care to publicize that because he wants everybody to buy Air Jordans regardless. It, you know, everybody, he's basically saying you're all human. You're entitled yeah. to your opinion and buy your product. So I think for business owners, not everybody's going to like you, but you can do business with them. But I think where we were talking about really is what holds business owners back sometimes. And if you want to be liked for just the customers are one thing, it also will totally screw you up with your employees because yes. now you, now you're not taking a stand. And I've seen this. I've been dealing with this recently. I'm not going to name the business and I'm not going to say anything, but there is an extraordinary human. He's actually a great American. So he can't manage his way out of a box, but he'll hang out with you. He's loyal. He's got, he's friendly. He's all those things, but he was put into a manager position and he wants the guys and women to like him. And in the manager position, you now throw that out the door. It's not that you can't be friends with them and you can't be like a bull. But you can't worry that your decision is going to make them not like you when you need to make a business decision. And yes. it, it, it is totally screwing this business because of it. So they, they need in that leadership role, you, what you need is respect. Right. And you can respect someone and not agree with them. Like you don't, like you just said, you don't have to have the exact same beliefs. But if you respect somebody enough, you respect the fact that their opinion is going to be different to yours. And whilst you don't agree on that thing, you in general agree about a lot of other things. And so I guess that is maybe, maybe this is the problem and I hadn't really thought about it before, but maybe these business owners are so worried about being liked when what they really need to be is respected. I do. And I want to stop there on that great point because I don't want to run out of time to talk about a few other things. But for anybody, business owners listening, Peel back the onion when no one is around on yourself and think about that because it could be holding you back. Wrapping up here, I got a question for you as a business owner. What does your day look like? I have the most boring day in the world. It's hilarious. This is why I'm not good at social media. I work from home. We're actually in the process of potentially moving to an office. I have remote team members. I don't have, I don't get up at four o'clock in the morning and go to the gym. What do you I do? get up, I get up around six and I sit down and I have a cup of tea and I generally watch some kind of rerun of a home renovation show while I have my cup of tea. I just need to chill out. I just need to zone out, right? I work 
Like my brain works really hard during the day. I walk the dogs with my husband in the morning, generally, sort of between seven and eight. I go to the gym at some point during the day, depending on when I have free time. And I've just gone back to something that I used to do ages ago, and I don't know why I ever gave up on it. But I've been doing Todd Herman's 90-day year to try and just get myself out of this busy work that I've fallen into. And one of the things that he teaches, and as I said, I've just paid a lot of money to learn something I already knew, is putting themes on each day so that you don't get distracted. So today is Wednesday and today is my podcasting day. So I know that Wednesdays and Fridays I do podcasts or for my podcast I will do qualifying calls. But that's the only day that you can book in, Wednesdays and Fridays. And it really did take a look at my own calendar around things that I want to do. So for example, I go to see a personal trainer. That's not changeable. I have a set schedule. And so from, and there are other things as well, but from there, I kind of worked out, all right, so what do I need to do? So Mondays is my marketing day. Mondays is a day I record ridiculous reels for Instagram. I sit there and write the captions. We're doing a trade fair, upcoming trade fair. So the marketing stuff that needed to be associated with that. Tuesdays, because I go to the personal trainer, I call that my meetings day so that I can move around and chop and change and it's kind of meetings and admin. So if I have to do team calls, we do them on a Tuesday. If I have to have a conversation with someone, they book in for Tuesdays. Wednesdays and Fridays are my podcast days. And Thursdays is my admin slash financials slash systems. So all those jobs I actually really don't like doing, but I don't really want to do them on Monday and I don't want to do them on Friday. So Friday... I don't tend to work for the whole day. I kind of kick off about two o'clock or so. To be fair, I generally work somewhere. I start somewhere between seven and I finish at three. I don't usually work past three o'clock. I might answer some emails if if stuff's coming in, but that's when I like to work. So it's my business. I do that. Um, Fridays is my content and podcast day. So any more podcasts I have to do or creating content. So it might be more content for the programs. It could be slide decks for a webinar all that kind of stuff. So that's that's what my week looks like. What time are you And go to bed? one of the 9.30. So I go to bed at 9.30. I generally read for anywhere from sort of half an hour to an hour. I'm out by 10.30. <laughs> I am not. I, I had someone who worked in the UK and I, I couldn't deal with it because the only time that worked for meetings was 7 p.m. I'm so done by 7 p.m. Like I said, I finished sort of somewhere between 3 and 4. I finished. I've had my dinner. I've walked the dogs. I'm almost in my jammies by then. <laughs> I don't want to be thinking about work. I appreciate you sharing that. If it feels like I'm rushing you, I am because no, you're right. I, well, I know you got another call, another meeting. Can you leave our listeners with three high percentage tips for them? I can. I wrote them down so I didn't get, didn't forget how important they were. So the first one is. You have to know what you want. Like, what is it you want? Whether it's in life, in business, whatever. If you don't know what you want, how the heck are you ever going to know if you got there? And I think this is one of the things we gloss by, especially as entrepreneurs, is we don't celebrate success. And so we achieve, we maybe achieve something that may, we may or may not have as a goal. And then we just move on to the next thing. But if you don't write it down or articulate it, one, how do you get everyone else on board? Like if I want a $100 million company and I don't tell anyone, 
how do I get conversations like this? How do I get conversations where people go, oh, I could introduce you to such and such. Have you thought about such and such? And if you don't know where you want, will you ever be fulfilled? I don't know. It's a question. Uh, So that's tip number one. Tip number two is, and this is something I say to my one-on-one clients constantly, which is results come from the actions you take, not your intended actions. Like you can intend to do all the things in the world, but don't whinge when you don't get the results. And my third one is stop playing small. Like you can be, I've got a client that's doing $7 million still playing small. Like no automation in the business, still works in the store every day, has to have the fingers in all the pies, has no number, no number of what what would it cost for someone to buy you out. The only plan they've got is I'll probably want to retire in 10 or 15 years, but no plan on how much money they want to make by then. Do they want more stores? That is that playing small mindset. And playing small kind of revolves around a couple of things. One, you you quite often run on what I call is the hamster wheel of hope. So you just cross your fingers and hope that enough money will come in, there'll be enough sales, you will get enough people to your website, that when you go to retire or sell your business, someone will want to buy it. There's no plan in place. So playing small and thinking small, and it's actually the reason that we banned or I banned the word small business in our company. Because when you use the word small business, it's usually prefaced by the word just. So I can't do that. I'm just a small business. How can I compete? I'm just a small business. Like stop using small as an excuse. Those are my top three tips. I love those three HPTs. Selena, where's the best place for listeners to find you? You can find me over at selenanight.com. Or if you are in that space, head on over to the Bringing Business to Retail podcast where we talk about all the strategies, tips, things that you need to grow a retail or e-commerce business. Love it. We'll put everything in the show notes. This has been a lot of fun. It's late in the day for me, but you are a ball of energy. And now you got me jacked up to go out, ride my bike and do some more for the evening. Thanks a lot for joining. No problems. Thank you so much for having me. Bye, everyone. Thanks for being generous with your time and joining us for this episode of The Edge. Before you go, a quick question. Are you the type of person who wants to get 100% out of your time, talent, and ideas? If so, you'll love our monthly Edge newsletter. It's a monthly playbook about the inner game of building a successful business. In each newsletter, we pull back the curtain on our business and show you exactly what's happening, the real numbers real conversion rates, lessons learned from failed and successful strategies, and how we're investing the money we make from our business to outperform the general stock market. We lay out what we're doing to get 75% conversion rates on our product pages, how we're optimizing our Facebook, Instagram, and other paid ads to get our leads under $3.87, the results from our email A-B tests, results from strategies I test to get more done in less time that allows me to ride my bike 100 plus miles a week, work out, spend time with Yvette, and still successfully run our business, how I'm investing the money we make from our business that has led our retirement account to average 20% over the last 10 years the exact stocks, ETFs, cryptocurrencies, and other investments we're buying each and every month, and tons of other actionable information. 
Imagine the time and money you'll save by having this holy grail of business intelligence. You can take all of it, apply it to your life as an entrepreneur to avoid costly mistakes and be happier, healthier, and richer. As a fellow entrepreneur who's aiming for nothing short of success, you owe it to yourself to subscribe. Check out the special offer with bonuses for you as a listener at edgenewsletter.com. Again, that's E-D-G-E newsletter.com.